Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I really am going to have to invest in some waterproof mascara, man. This is becoming a problem. Good morning, Hope Church. My name is Carrie, for those who don't know me, and I'm so glad you guys are here. And um, man, uh, just thankful for the worship team we have, thankful for so many things, um, and thankful just that God's presence is with each of us and that he wants to meet each of us uniquely. So um, if you felt that, I think it's just, it's just that reminder that he is here with us. And um, so I today, we're, we're kind of piggybacking off of last week's message where we talked about um, wealth, worries, and wants, and we walked through this parable that Jesus shares about um, about the farmer sowing seeds on different on different kinds of soil. And we talked about there's one kind of, of uh, seed that is sown on the path, and it gets snatched up immediately, and it doesn't retain the word. And then there's another kind of seed that falls on the rocky soil, and it it's in shallow soil, so it doesn't grow roots, and so when trouble comes, it kind of withers and it falls away. And then we, we kind of focused on this third kind of uh, seed that is sown on the, um, the thorny path. And so it grows and it starts out great, but then these things in the world, right, the worries, the wealth, and the wants, um, maybe not in and of themselves a problem, but when they become something that our heart is oriented around, then they become idols in our hearts and they take up all this space and they prevent us. They kind of like suffocate us and keep us from bearing fruit and, and um, reproducing this beautiful harvest that God wants to, to grow through us. And at the end of that message, I shared a Marlena Graves quote where she asked us bluntly whether God has room in our hearts or whether he's claustrophobic there. And I love that, Mar- that quote she brought up, and I love how she kind of tied in this idea that there's a connection between um, cleaning out space in our lives and repentance, that really repentance is this act partially of allowing God to come in and take out what doesn't need to be there and rearrange our hearts and our lives. And in keeping with our seed, our theme of fruit and seeds, did you know that there's actually a connection between fruit of the Spirit and repentance? John the Baptist, when he's addressing people, especially the religious leaders of his day, says in Matthew 3:8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so we talked about maybe there's a kind of soil, maybe there's a, maybe like a contentment, that good soil that God wants to plant us in so that we can bear much fruit for his kingdom. That soil is characterized by contentment and it is characterized by repentance. So what is repentance? Well, Merriam-Webster defines it as the action or process of repenting. Don't you hate when you go for a definition and you're like, no, I, okay, now I have to look up another word. Um, so repenting for misdeeds or moral shortcomings, but repenting is to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life, to feel regret or contrition, to change one's mind. And so it's this idea, right, of turning. You're, you're facing one way and then you're, you're turning this other way and you're allowing for, again, we can repent, but it is God's job, it is the Spirit's job to change our lives, and in His strength and in His power, we can do that. So it's important that we notice that repentance adds this implication of a resolve to change. 
So it's kind of a step beyond confession, which we're also going to talk today a little bit about. Um, now, I don't think you have to confess your sins to somebody, uh, to a human, in order to be forgiven of your sins, but the Bible does share an importance about, uh, the power about confessing the state of our heart, the state of our lives with others. I think um, that confession, being honest about where we are, is an important part of repentance, but it's not the final step. As we're going to see later, you can confess your sins without actually changing, without actually inviting the Spirit in to, to make a difference in your life. Um, if you want to see a beautiful example of, of just heartfelt repentance, read Psalm 38. Um, the psalmist, he just pours out his heart, and he, he just, like, you can tell he's in anguish over his sin, over, over the things he's done wrong. Um, but it does involve a change, right? Years ago, I, uh, my husband and I got into this routine of driving to church together, and our, uh, we had three kids at the time, I think. And every week after the service was over, we'd talk for a little bit, and then he would take the kids to the car, and he'd buckle them in, you know, and, and I would say, I'll be there in a minute. And you probably know where this is going. About like 20 minutes later, la, 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 here I come out to the car. And, um, and then I would get in the car and I'd look at him and I'd say, I'm so sorry, I'm late. But yeah, it took longer than I thought. Um, well, that just happened like every single week. Every week, week after week, he put the kids in the car and then I would come out. And at one point he looked at me and he said, stop saying sorry. Because if you were actually sorry, you would stop being late. You would actually make a change, right? And so I decided that instead we should just drive two separate cars, and that <laughs> solved everything, right? I didn't really feel like changing, actually, as it turned out. So this maybe is a difference between confession and repentance, right? Like, I could tell him. I knew that what I did was, was not kind. It was not polite. It was not honoring to him, and yet I kept doing it. And so this idea of repentance is saying, I want to actually allow myself to be changed, even if it's inconvenient for me. And as Marlena discusses, involving a repentance involves making space, right? A radical change that we know we have idols in our hearts and we want God, we want to surrender those to God and let him move in us. And maybe this is partly why repentance is not a very popular word. Um, I actually looked it up and, um, you know, you, when you look up a word, you can see its popularity over time. Uh, it hit its peak about 200 years ago in the 1820s. And it has mostly declined in use since then, although it is making a little bit of a comeback. So... Um, maybe you think of that word, though, as kind of archaic. The word itself maybe feels outdated or clunky. Or maybe more than that, we think of it as an archaic ideology, right? Maybe we associate repentance with, like, doomsday signs and people yelling in megaphones and fear tactics. Maybe we even, for that reason, associate repentance with shame, which is tragically ironic. Uh, we feel like maybe only certain people or certain sins require repentance, and so we don't want to put ourselves on display. We don't want anyone to know and yet we are recognizing that part of being in that healthy soil God wants for us requires regular repentance. So I want to dive today a little bit into this idea of repentance, why it is important for us, and what God wants to do through it. And I think there's a couple obstacles we have to look at first, obstacles to our repentance, and those can be things like pride and denial and fear. Pride and denial and fear. So the first one, let's start with pride. When we have a pride issue, we refuse to even believe that we could have a problem, that we could be doing anything wrong. And this was the issue that we frequently saw with the religious leaders in the time of Jesus, that they were so full of their own self-righteousness, right, that they didn't have room for the righteousness of God. And so they were often focused on external morality, but not examining their internal motivations. And unfortunately, it's precisely in the heart that the the sin issues like pride 
and idolatry and jealousy tend to grow. And so we close the door to our heart when we have pride and we say, no one needs to go in there. I checked it. It's good. Everything's fine. And maybe it's kind of like a refrigerator. You know, when you're, when you're like stuck in pride mode, you're like, you know what? No, the, the, the air, the temperature in the fridge is the right temperature. I put the food in an airtight container. Okay, nothing could go wrong there. What could possibly go wrong? Everything's fine, right? And what we don't realize is that even in those conditions, even when we look, work really hard to do everything right on the outside, on the inside, that mold is slowly growing. And as I was writing this message, I was thinking about all the people I know in my life that probably struggle with pride, right? But the truth is that we all do. We all do. And, and if we're honest, I think all of us have some corner in our heart where we've come to believe, yeah, that's not really an issue for me. I don't have to worry about that. And maybe those are precisely the places where we have to do a second check and say, okay, God, I want to invite you in here and, and understand that maybe I could get something wrong. Because 1 John 5, 8 through 9 says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves. That's the first person we're deceiving, right? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we're going to talk more about this later, but there's a beautiful outcome that comes through repentance, and it's that Jesus can come in, that he can give us this salvation, that he can purify our lives and make us new. But we have to to admit our wrong first, right? So what are some signs that maybe we've become so full of pride that we won't open the door for confession or repentance? It could be if we've become more concerned with the state of other people's morality than our own. You know, like the Pharisees in Luke 18, 11 would say, thank you, God, that I'm not like those people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even this tax collector and their confession is really like a self-compliment through comparison. It's basically saying, like, comparatively, I'm doing okay, so I don't need help. And if you find you start fighting more for moral issues that other people are struggling with, then asking God for a heart of compassion, then asking God to show you what is in your heart that needs changing, it could be that we've begun to, to have pride, to self-justify ourselves Maybe we begin to feel like our holy mission is to help other people confess. And God says, no, I need you to recognize where you might be wrong as well. Um, I think we might think we can be immune to this, but I read an Anne Lamott quote this week that says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Right? We can start to subtly, without realizing it, we can be like, oh, I'm so angry at this person. I'm so mad at this. And I'm sure God is too because, but we don't recognize that that's not the way God goes about it. And yes, there's a time to challenge people. Yes, there's a time to call people out. But God also says that, that human anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. And so we have to always lay that, that, um, that anger before him and say, is this of you? Because I don't want to go on my own. I don't want to act in pride here. Sometimes we're the refrigerators, right? The ones who won't confess or repent because we're proud. And then we have other people who maybe it's not so much pride, but it's denial. People that would say, yeah, I've got problems, but who doesn't? We all have problems. It's not a big deal. Maybe it's the people whose theme song is like, you know, I'd rather, rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Uh, because you, maybe, you, maybe you've bought into this idea that as Christ, that Christians that following God, that following God's rules, that's not a lot of fun. It doesn't sound like fun. And first of all, I do think we've created this false dichotomy. I think we've somehow turned God into this, following God into this thing where we feel like, man, the more miserable I am, the more I must be doing it right, right? 
or, or if I'm having any fun, then maybe I must not be doing something right. And I think that's false, right? Last week we talked about how God intentionally gives us things for our enjoyment. But there is a flip side to that. And we often don't want to accept, especially in this day and age, especially in our culture, but some limitations are actually good for our soul. Some restraints actually give us freedom. And so the perfect law that God gives us is designed not for not to, not to keep us from having fun, but to actually um, give us more freedom. And sometimes being able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, want is actually poisoning us. We can see this in, in kids, right? If we let kids do whatever they want, whenever often they become entitled, they, they lose resilience, they start to think that the world is supposed to revolve around them, they don't serve or, or look to the good of others, the problem is, even as adults, we can still fall into this. We can forget that a life without restrictions is really not a free life. And so the person that's in denial is not afraid to confess their situation, right? They're honest about their imperfections, but they're dishonest about how their choices might be affecting their life, the life of other people around them, their relationships. And they may see God's law and commandments as something that will detract from their life, not recognizing that God wants to fill their life with, with, his, with his heart for them. And so this person isn't so much a fridge, but they might be considered a greenhouse, right? Someone that's got like, it's, it's clear, their life is see-through, you can open book, you can see everything in there, but they're not ventilating it. They won't open, they won't open the door to let, any, to let any air out because they believe that everything in there is just fine. And I was reading this week about um, people who uh, want to sleep in greenhouses. Don't ask how I got on that trail, but... <clears throat> But they were saying, if you want to sleep in a greenhouse, you have to make sure it's properly ventilated because if you, if you don't, then there's gases that can build up. There's certain unhealthy things that would actually be poisonous or toxic to us if we have too much of it. And so you have to make sure that that is ventilated. And so it's this idea of recognizing that um, we, without realizing all these things we're enjoying and that we think are going to give us freedom, if they're slowly poisoning us, we have to let God's spirit in. We have to let him breathe on our lives. We have to allow him to show us how those things may actually be enslaving us rather than giving us joy. Here's a C.S. Lewis quote that I'm, you've probably heard before, but he says, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. And it is not that those good things are, that are bad for us all the time, but they can become the thing. And we can, we can hold on to those pleasures in our lives, afraid to let them go because we don't realize that God has something so much better to offer us. I don't know about you, whenever we sing that song, um, God is good, you're good, and then we sing the part that says, you're never going to let me down. And there's a little part of me that always has to check myself because I, I want to tell God sometimes, like, but I feel like you have let me down sometimes. I feel like there's things that I wanted. I feel like there's things that I asked for and you haven't given me them. And I have to recognize somehow that the goodness of God, who he is, never ever changes. And some of the things I think I want, some of the things I think I need would actually not be good if I got them. And so when I say that God's never gonna let me down, I'm recognizing that everything else in my life that I think I want and think I need will let me down. But ultimately, God is the one who never ever will. And that's a place we have to get to, and that's where we have to recognize all these things we're holding on to around us. Again, 
we might feel like it's not hurting anybody, right? But God wants to change us. He wants to let the air into our lives. So maybe you've become this person if you begin to kind of rationalize things and say, oh, okay, well, yeah, it's not really bothering anyone. It's not really hurting anyone. Um, or maybe you start to feel like, um, you know, I could just, I've been, I've been doing this for a while, and yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm fine this way. But I really believe at some point in our lives, we all hit this wall. We all hit this place where we recognize that those things are not fulfilling us. So we have pride, and we have denial, maybe, and then we also have the final one, which is fear. Fear so often keeps us from repentance, and I think this is a lot of us, maybe, who experience this. I mean, this is, these are people we know we've screwed up, right? We know, in fact, we just keep having this feeling of shame about it. But instead of conf- confessing or repenting, we've come to believe this lie that we can be safe by hiding, that we can just make this like, like the closet, right? The closet analogy. We just keep this closet, and we keep it locked, and we keep it dark, and we're the only one that goes in there to see. And, um, and over time, we start to believe that if anybody else sees it, if anybody else were to possibly know what was really going on inside of our lives, inside of our hearts, we couldn't be loved, we couldn't be fixed. And it's fear, right? And maybe we feel like we have to start fixing ourselves. If I just stay in here and fix myself, eventually I'll be okay, but it's eating away at our soul. And the enemy has told us that confession and repentance is going to open us up to pain and incredible loss that we'll be trapped by those things. And we don't realize we've locked ourselves in with our problems. Um, and I want to actually do something a little different today. I'm going to invite Ruby on stage, and she's going to do a dance today for us because I think that there's sort of a representation of this struggle that we often have. First of all, the struggle of sin, that we go back and forth, and we don't want to do things, and we do them anyway, and we feel so guilty and shame, and we get in these loops and these spirals. And so I want Ruby to just do a dance that I think exemplifies that, Um, but I would just pray over you during this time that as you watch this dance, um, that God would just speak to you and really give you a freedom through this. So God, I'm I'm just praying that you would, um, even as we watch, even as we listen, um, that your spirit would speak to each of us. Um, God, if any of us is sitting in fear right now, God, that this would open doors for us, that we would experience your light and your hope um, and your freedom. I thought that I could hold my own. I mean, you shouldn't feel like you're behind enemy lines inside of your own home. But every time that I'm alone, I feel as stable as dust, subject to wherever that wind blows. And my mind pretends that this is a new home. And I'm just that curious kid that just wants to know where every door and passageway go. But I've been living up here for 26 years, so I know. I know it lies behind these doors all too well. Most of them are great, but I don't open those much, so I couldn't tell. You see, the door that I know all too well is this little closet at the end of the hallway. It welcomes me like a holiday, but always leaves me feeling like hell. And history has given me countless reasons of why I should avoid it at all costs. 
Yet it seems my countless demons continue to contradict that with addictive thoughts. And before I can stop, I find myself hesitantly opening that door lock. I glance back as if it's too late. It's not, but I've let this thought become an action. And now this action's gaining traction. As I twist the handle and they all come crashing out, skeletal hands surround, trying to pull me down. I turn, try to close the door or at least scream for some help. But there's of ice grip around my neck so nothing comes out I try to run but the deed has already been done it was a choice that I made now I'm going to fall prey to the skeletons And now I am struggling to breathe, but I keep quiet so that nobody sees me. Nobody needs to see these skeletal beings fighting to death to keep a hold of me. I make promises I can't keep. I'm a zombie by day because at night I don't sleep. Embarrassment is my camouflage. I don't hold hands because of my damaged flaws. I need the hand of God. I need a hand of God. I don't need a hand. I'm all good. For the millionth time, I whisper this lie to myself as I push the hands back and slam the door on this hell. Exhausted, I stagger to the end of the hallway, breathing a sigh of relief. Just another day's work, utterly isolated thinking, what could be wrong with my nature? I mean, how else does one get picked for this great curse? Disoriented and lost, I make my escape towards the first door that I find. Turn the key, twist the knob, only to reveal you know, an army of skeletons behind. No, I didn't mean to go back. I didn't mean to go back. I can't last another attack. I'm falling victim to my present. All because of my past, I'm falling prey to the skeletons. So, all I see are ruined reputations, scandals, and defeat. Not that I failed the plan, it's just my plans failed me. Scratch that! Cause I'm done with these cycles of saying sorry. No more falling prey to the other side's army. SOS, I need support. I need more than my words can say. I need words that can change.
Thank you so much, Ruby Grace. That was beautiful. Um, let's just sit there a minute. Every time I, I hear that song, every time I see that um, dance, um, it's never the same way twice. That's what I love. There's something about it that resonates, isn't it? There's something about watching the struggle, and we can, we can feel ourselves, and we know we've all been there in those places where we say, I, I just feel trapped, and I feel stuck, and I want to be free, and why can't I be free, and what is wrong with me, right? And that fear that makes us feel like we have to keep it here, keep it shut away in a closet door. And I know I was talking with Ruby, and, and just even this idea that when we're in those dark places, when we recognize the filth that we're in, we're afraid to even let God in because we feel like we don't deserve to have God with us. And that is such a lie, right? Because, because the beautiful thing is that God says, God says that when you come to me, when you open those doors, I do not want to condemn you. I am, I am the father who sees you far away. When the prodigal son came back, God, the father didn't wait for him, right? The father didn't come to condemn him. The father threw him a feast. That's what he wants for you, and that is what I want you to see for yourself and so as we wrap up here, I want to I wanna say, we may, this, this artist Tal says, we may get to this point where we say, I need the hand of God. I get to this desperate point, and then we, we say, I need God, and then I, I worry that I don't, and I want to do it on my own. But finally, we, he gets to this point of honesty, and he says, I need more than my words can say. I need words that can change the kind of words that made the world in six days. And maybe you get to this point where you recognize, nope, I cannot overcome this issue by myself, and you aren't supposed to be able to. God wants to come in, and that's part of what redemption is, is that he, he buys you back, and he, he take, takes the brokenness and the sinful places in your life, and he helps you to overcome them. And there's a part in the song that says, it's directly from the Bible, right? His grace is enough. It's sufficient for me. His power is made perfect whenever I'm weak. And if that's what makes me free, I will scream. I will scream about my weakness. And it's not this denial. It's not saying, oh, look at my weakness and I don't care. It's saying, it's saying no, because I am weak, you can see the power of God on display in my life. Amen. And I can even boast about it then. I can even boast about it because I'm recognizing that I'm no longer a slave to those things, but God has set me free. And when God sets us free and when we confess to him and when we repent to him and we allow him to change our hearts, then he does this thing that's beautiful and it's called redemption. And he takes our lives and he actually turns the very places that we thought were too broken, were too messed up, were too screwed up, and he uses those very places to shine back a light into the darkness, Right? And you will find probably in your life some of the places that for you felt like the darkest things become the most powerful sources of light for you to reach out to others who are going through just the same thing. And I want you to know this. If you believe that there's a lie, that confession and repentance is going to kill you, it is very opposite. God wants to breathe life in you through that. And so I want to speak some truth over you before you leave as we wrap up here about confession and repentance. Proverbs, 3, 20, sorry, Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Finds mercy, right? We think by hiding we will be saved, we'll be free, but God gives us mercy when we open those closet doors. James 5, 16 says, 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is a reminder, again, even amongst ourselves, um, in, in your friend groups, in your, find someone that you trust that you can be open and honest with about your struggles and then pray together because in doing so, God is going to heal you. That's, that's where we get the power and the strength to keep going. And listen, we may still screw up. I understand we're human. That's part of it, right? But when you, when you have someone who's walking with you, then that shame begins to lose its grip on you and you recognize that you've got someone who's an ally and that they want God's best for you as well. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And remember, we talked recently about this idea that, that God, when we come to him, when we confess our sins, when we believe in him, he, he makes us righteous with the righteousness of Christ. We are literally seen white as snow, with no blemishes, right? And it begins with that confession and that repentance. And so it is not uh, something to harm. It is, it is not something that we, that we should fear. It is actually the thing that gives us life. And even though when we come out of the darkness and into the light, at first it kind of stings. You know when you, like when you wake up and you maybe come out of the, uh, you've, you've been in the dark outside and you come inside and at first that light kind of stings your eyes. And at first we may feel that way when we, when we start to open up our lives to God in his light. That, that light initially might feel like it's hurting. But we're going to recognize pretty soon that it is our friend and that it is there to give us hope. And as we begin to trust in God and as we begin to open up these doors, we're going to become more and more like the seeds that are planted on good soil, right? That bears fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. Do not make the mistake of believing that those plants themselves are perfect. No, you don't have to be perfect, a perfect plant. You don't have to become perfect or self-righteous, but you can trust that God is going to plant you in good soil. And he does not leave the ashes from the broken parts of your life. He doesn't leave the ashes around you to mock you, but he actually uses those very ashes as a fertilizer to help you grow. And here's a verse I've used before, but I love it, so I'm going to use it again as we wrap up here, and I think we have a slide for this. Ephesians 5, 8 through 14 is one of my very favorites. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were once darkness, but now you are light. So live as children of the light. And this, there's this word about fruit again. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to mention to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, right? That's this idea that when we're, when we're hiding, when we live in shame, we have to cover things up, there's, there's fear there, there's shame. But verse 13 tells us this, that everything that is exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. When we step into the light, it feels painful, right? It feels like we're going to be hurt by that light, but God says, no, when you walk in and you bear it all before me, I'm going to take I'm going to take my light, my powerful light, and I'm going to shine it off you and reflect it right back into that dark world. And that is why it is said in verse 14, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that is the most beautiful picture of redemption I can think of. Listen, I know, I know that for a lot of us here, um, we, we, we have to learn that we never out, outgrow our need for grace. And there's maybe this subtle lie that we believe that if we follow God and if we do everything right, that at some point we're just not supposed to struggle anymore. 
And I wish I could say that were true. I do think that God, as he, as he begins to sanctify us, as he begins to grow us, I do think that there's some things that become easier to walk in his spirit, but that struggle may always be there for you. And that is why I, I know I could have like an altar call, and, we, and certainly at any point, if you ever feel like you need to just kneel or rest or, or pray to God or ask for repentance, we can do that. We can have intentional invitations for repentance. But I want us to see that repentance actually needs to become like a rhythm in our lives. It's not a one-time event. It's not something that we just do and check off. But much like the spring cleaning we talked about last week, repentance becomes this thing where every so often we say, okay, God, where am I at now in this new season? Some time has passed. Are there new things in my life that I'm not even aware of? And I would encourage you again just to keep asking God, what is it in my life that, that maybe has become an idol? What is that thing that I'm holding on to? And you might be surprised. I know for myself, when I, like, I get into fix-it mode, and so when I ask God what I needed to repent about, I kind of already had some ideas that I thought maybe needed to fix. And God, God surprised me. And I think that's the, that's, the, that's the important thing about asking him to come periodically and show us those things is that there are things in the corners of our hearts that we have entirely overlooked. And God says, here, I want to clean it out. I want a fresh space for you. I want, I want you to be able to enjoy my presence again. I want you to go out in my power and in my truth. Remember again the arms of the Father waiting for you to come back to him, running after you. And I need you to know, as we close out here, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter what you're wrestling with, no matter how bad it seems, now how, how dark your skeletons might feel, you are not hopeless. You are not alone. There is a power of a Savior that can help you overcome, and you are not beyond the power of God's love to reach or his power to save or his grace to redeem you. If you just open up the door. God, I thank you that you are a God of grace a million times over, that every time we come to you and repent, that you are still waiting there with open arms. God, I thank you that your love for us is truly what we most need, and I ask that for every person today that we would experience that, and if there's anyone in here who at some level is, is still shaking their head and saying, no, I don't believe God could ever forgive someone like me, or, or forgive this thing that I struggle with. I pray you break that lie and allow them to know that you love them so much more than they could imagine. And let us step out, God, and then be light for this generation around us. 